Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Yeah, I mean, I love where the, I love the Knicks roster right now. Um, even, like, the one player who, like, it seems everybody wants to get rid of is Randall. The big motivator for that, for me, is OB. Because I thought OB was awesome and just fits so well into what I think this roster is built for. But I think Randall can. It's just, um, you know, like if, if Obi didn't look awesome when he played or if they managed more of a timeshare in minutes, I would not be a Randall needs to go guy. But um, even a Randall redemption arc wouldn't be a bad story for the season. And I think, let's be real, like he's not going to be as bad playing next to Jalen Brunson. Um, I don't think the worst tendencies of his are going to be as much. Uh, he played well with Drew Holiday in New Orleans. I think that will help him. Um, it's just I think Obi does so much. But this is, a, I mean, it's a fun fucking roster. Let's be real. Right? People are crying about Mitchell Robinson. What do you mean a shot blocker like that? We haven't had a shot blocker like that since Tyson Chandler, um, who could also finish at a high level, who could rebound like that. That's the that's the person, the young guy, everyone is like, why, did, why didn't we take Jalen Durant? Look at what Mitch gives you. Like, Jalen Duran throws down a couple dunks in Sucker League. Oh, I've never seen Mitchell Robinson dunk. Man, <laughs> he's an under-the-rim player, isn't he? Um, that's without considering all the young guys. Like, I'm excited for this Summer League game because I know what Grimes and Deuce can do. Like, I expect them to dominate, and maybe they won't. But, um, I mean, look, at, like, there's so many guys I just exp- – like, you look at how they're trending – how would you? How, how do you not like if you if you watched Emmanuel quickly last year? And I'll get into this later in the pod. If you watched how like the light bulb that went on kind of halfway through the year, in terms of yes, he started hitting more shots, but um, there's a different like the first year and a half Emmanuel quickly was in the NBA. He was a, he was limited in terms of what his decisions were. He could pass. But when he went into it's like it's like watching a quarterback who is talented physically. I don't want to say just running quarterbacks. There's a lot of running quarterbacks who can do more of that. And I think there's other implications that I don't I'm not trying to talk about here. But there's physically talented quarterbacks who you simplify their reads and they're good at executing them. Um and that's what quickly was. He had the jump shot, he had the speed to get into the paint. And with a limited set, he could run a pick and roll. With a limited set of options, he could figure out the right one. But against advanced defenses, he would end up predetermining in his reads, or he would just be too tenant, or he'd go to the other extreme and he'd just be too slow in trying to figure out everything. And that when that switch went off, he was in command. Like you watch him against Clippers, against the Heat, against a lot of those games late in the season. He was in complete command of what was going on on the floor as a second-year player, and he does that on defense too. Um, you look at Obi, and Obi probably—I <laughs> don't think it's a coincidence that quickly and Obi both had their come up at the same time. Yes, it was the minutes, but it was also the fact that the light bulb going on for IQ and the chemistry evolving between them made them a really powerful. There's one play I want to highlight, and I've been talking for a lot, so I'll. Definitely throw it over to you, Matt. But there's one play in particular I want to talk about. There was a, a Spain pick and roll with Sims, 
setting the preliminary screen. OB is a second screener. And um, IQ is just running it. And it, it, it doesn't even go to the full completion because Sims starts to set the screen. Sims is a great screen setter. So Obi's defender, who's Kevin Love, not the best help defender, but he is now paying attention to that. So you have IQ's shooting gravity. And then Obi just decides to go because you see Kevin Love is has his eyes off of him. And that's all Obi needs. He needs your if your eyes are off Obi for a second, he's going to attack. Yep. Goes right to the rim quickly at the same time as telling him. I don't want to say quickly di- di- directed him because they are so in sync that the same time quickly pointed the rim, Obi was already going. So who told who? Chicken and the egg because they're so much on the same page. And and what happened? It was an alley oop. And, and that, that just, it's so powerful what the young guys can do together. And you see when they actually got to run, like they scored the Clippers 36 to four in that game and not that same game. But when you had, there was a lineup of, I think it was Sims, Sims and Mitch were interchangeable in that quickly deuce cam RJ and OB. So they had like, they had a group of six or seven guys that basically outscored the Clippers 36 to four. And it was from just it was I don't know how Tibbs couldn't be excited by this because it was ball hawking defense, tons of turnovers, uh, lockdown. They were not allowing any penetration or good shots. Um, they were pushing the ball place. They were just making great decisions in the half court. The ball is moving everywhere. Like, how do you not get excited by that? And um, and I'll come back to like yeah I think Randall can fit into that. Um, do I want Obi to be the guy? Yeah, but um, but like it's tough to not like. And then you added you added Jalen Brunson. Like watch this guy play, watch his handles, watch what he can do. Like the the idea he can't fit next to quickly to me is absurd because quickly is a great point of attack defender, and Brunson is really good off ball. That's that's one thing people are just like Brunson's a bad defender. Yeah, you ask him to you ask him to guard John Morant on an island, it's not going to go well. But that's why we have guys like quickly. That's why we have Grimes. They can do that. You let Brunson guard the Clay Thompsons. The obviously, if you guard Clay Thompson, sometimes you're just going to lose because that guy can shoot from Mercury. But um, you know he that he's actually really good off ball. So like I love that I love that they are added Hartenstein. Um, I'm gonna preface this by saying I don't know if the Knicks fans will love this comparison, but I personally loved Kylo Quinn on the Knicks, and I think Hartenstein reminds me a lot of what he brought to them, except he's bigger. Um, it reminds me a lot of that acquisition. We can talk about that a little bit as well. But I just talked for a lot. But I I like this team even as is, even if they don't dump Fournier or clear more minutes. Look. I, I think Cam is the guy right now. Cam and Deuce McBride to a lesser extent. Deuce is still in his second year, so I think like that's less of a concern. But um, you know, Cam is the guy who seems like the odd guy out unless he can really impress Tibbs, which is unfortunate. But I'm still like that's not going to make me not excited about this team. We're very excited about the Knicks today. We were talking about them for like 15 minutes before we even started recording. Uh, welcome to the Believe Next episode. That was Stacey Patton. I'm Matthew Miranda. A few things um, that you raised that I want to ask about. One, um, I'll go in order. If Julius, like, everyone seems to be convinced that Julius Randle is never going to be the player that he was two years ago, and that's fine. Like, a lot of people, you know, 
would kill to have that kind of a peak season. I'm fairly positive also, though, looking over his entire career and also looking at some of the teams he's played on, I don't think Julius Randle is ever going to be as bad as he was last year either. I think a lot of shit came together as a negative, and, and he's responsible, I think, I don't know, it's possible he's responsible for some of the compounding and for contributing to it, but if Randall next season were to finish, like, basically halfway between his last two years, so that would be 22 points a game, shoots about 43-44 from the field, 36 from three, and it gives you 10 assists, I mean, sorry, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, like, I think that's possible. The question I have for you is is understanding, and I'll, well, I'll, I'll ask you about the OB preference later, but just strictly in terms of Randall in a vacuum. Um, if you could sign up today for Randall giving you a season between the past two, would you sign up for it right now? But it, but it, But it means keeping him for the full season. Ultimately, no, I would not. Um... Because I think what he gave to the Knicks in that peak season was not in the flow of what you want from this team. Um, You want someone who's a role man, who's a quick decision maker, who can run DHOs with Brunson, who's going to buy in to just um, the defensive part of the ball. And he did, I mean... Like, even even when his peak season, his advanced stats weren't that great because he was relying on shooting an amazing percentage. Yeah. He needs to evolve and change his game. I think he's capable of that. I think he needs to buy into being an off-ball guy. I think there's people who are like, well, he has the attitude where he just wants to get his points. I don't actually think that's true. I think this I is the guy. Who, I don't see him as a, as a me-first player. No. Um, I think that was partly Tibbs. I think that was partly the lineups he was in but um but i also look at it as like is he if that's his role right because you look at his strength like the biggest thing people will say him over obi there's two big advantages he has over obi one is his shot creation ability where he can just he can get you know he can get a shot off which is less interesting to me because he's not that good when he does that um and two, it's the switchability on defense. He Obi is a gives way more effort. If if Randall had Obi's effort on defense, he would be an All NBA player, even if he shot like shit, or he'd be an All Star level player. Or he, he, there wouldn't be this kind of backlash on him, to say the least. Um, but he has, you know, agility and and quickness that Obi lateral quickness, I should say, that Obi doesn't. Obi obviously in a straight line is super fast. Um, those are the two things, um, but I don't think that outweighs what Obi gives you as like even Randall's passing. It usually he has to process. It is kind of what I was talking about with IQ in terms of the I'm going to do this, and I know there's a limited set of reads, and I'll make the right read from them. But when it's like more complex, when there's more moving parts, that's where I think it starts to break down from Randall. Um, but look, like when he when he gets the ball from ten to twelve feet, he's still a bucket. Um, I just think if if Obi had not shown so much, and I think he did show a lot, I would be more comfortable sticking with Randall. 
But I think this is a team, they signed Jalen Brunson. They've drafted quickly Deuce, Rokas Yokubaitis. Um, They were playing through Alec Burks last year. They clearly is a team that prioritizes guard talent. You want the player to be more of a complementary role. And I just don't know that Randall is better at that to the extent of paying him $26 million a year than Obi is. And um, that would be my concern. But like, if they went with this, like they're still going to be good. And he'll, he'll probably, he'll be better than last season. Um, Oh my God. I had a question all lined up to ask you. And it just floated out of my head. Um, Well, speaking of Obi, um, how much did his performance, like if Obi the last, whatever it was, four games last year had had played like, you know, like decent, like 15 points a game and like five rebounds and he shot like league average from three. That would be nice. But the way he played the last four games very much, and, and putting aside right now, well, that's what I want to ask you about. I feel like Obi showed signs all season, even in limited opportunities, of positives. Like people were begging to see more of him because even in his limited action, it was unmistakable that this guy is – even the end of the, the prior season, you could see like tangible signs of progress. What he did in the last four games, the instinct is, okay, like you don't want to overreact like, to a four-game sample. But when I watched those games, other than – he shot much better on threes and you could argue, well, he was actually getting consistent playing time. Maybe he was more confident or he was in a rhythm, but it wasn't like Obi suddenly was doing shit. He doesn't always do. Like it wasn't like, you know, a guy who can hit curveballs suddenly hitting a couple home runs off curve. Like he was doing what Obi does, but because he got to do it all game, game after game after game, this is their front office. If I recall correctly, they didn't sign Randall, but they did draft Obi. Um, I assume they're going to wait until Randall's value was established enough to get back what they feel is a fair return. But is it crazy to think that Obi? Is it crazy to think that Obi could win the starter spot this season without Randall being traded? If Leon Rose had signed Randall, I would feel like there is a zero percent chance. And I know they gave him the extension, but like he's not Randall's guy that he brought in. If if he was, I would say there's zero chance because that's his big move. He wants that to work, but he's not ultimately responsible for Randall. Even when he did re-sign Randall, it was at a below. It was less than Randall could have stayed and gotten at the time. Everyone considered it like, wow, it's a good deal. But he didn't. He didn't sign that guy in the first place, and Obi looked. Incredible. Obi didn't look like a starter. Obi looked like a borderline all-star. Yeah. Um, but I cannot see Tom Thibodeau or Jim. It's never really come up with the Knicks. I cannot think of a time ever where, uh, maybe when Stoudemire was injured, where the highest paid Nick was coming off the bench. Yeah, I would put it close to zero because you do have the contract. Um the thing is, Randall's biggest strength on defense is not something they go to a ton. They went to it a lot in the playoffs. Like, for all the flack that Randall got in the Atlanta series for his offense, um, you know, he is 
just um, his best contribution, and I think was an important contribution, was I think he guarded Trey Young 15 times on switches, and Trey Young scored once, which if you compare that to the Knicks' success rate, is a massive outlier. They didn't stop we didn't... 14 times the rest of the series outside of Randall. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, but that's but that's not how the Knicks play. I don't think that's how they will play. Um, I mean, if Jericho Sims had established himself as a starter, maybe you see them going into a switch-heavy scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer your question, no, I, I don't think there's a reasonable case there. I also think there's, like, locker room issues, right? If you play OB 30 minutes and Randall 18. What I'm hoping for, if Randall has to be here, what I'm hoping for is that I, I think the idea that OB is going to get minutes of the five is, is tough now because you, the Knicks have three centers who deserve minutes. Um, I want to see Jericho Sims get minutes. Um, I, I like the Isaiah Hartenstein move. I think it was great value and it was yeah. a no-brainer if you can get him for $8 million a year because there's probably teams that would have paid like a starter. Um, I don't think he's better than Mitchell Robinson yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have three guys now. You have four, really, because... Uh, if they keep Taj, then, you know, Taj also, like, he shot 50% from the corners last year. Small sample, but mm-hmm. that actually became, I think that was that was part of what helped Obi, right? Is because Tibbs started to use Obi as the screener and Taj as the floor spacer, and that actually worked a lot better. Yeah. And Taj can do that. So, uh, and he can also help cover up for some of Obi's um, shortcomings on defense. So I, I, I would put it still close to zero. Um, but I do I do think Opie is a guy, if you look at his impact, how he plays. I mean, it's it's so many things that don't even show up on the box score. I mean, if he runs down the floor, how many times? I, I don't know how many times. <laughs> we could have that stat. But there were so many times that Obi would take two guys down the floor. And even when the Knicks guards weren't throwing those outlet passes, mm-hmm. um, you'd have... Fournier or quickly or Grimes walking into a wide open three because two guys are going with Obi to the rim. Mm-hmm. That doesn't count as an assist. That doesn't count as a screen assist. That doesn't count as anything. But that's Obi. Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, that's that's kind of the difference maker to me. And maybe Randall can do that. But Obi's giving you a lot of that. Like the difference maker with Randall is if he can be this like, you know, pseudo Kawhi Leonard that can get you a bucket all the time. And I don't know if that's something the Knicks want to go to a lot or, or should want to go to a lot because Randall's is not great at it. And um, if his best role is as a role man, you know, connector guy, and I think he could be really good at that. But if we have Obi, who I also think is really good at that, that's what it comes back to. And But, you know, given the contract and all of that, I just don't see it happening organically. You mentioned Rob, you mentioned Obi's ability to to draw people and create assists that he's not credited with. Um, a small thing, but something I'm very excited for next year is to see Mitchell Robinson after a year, like to get himself back in like basketball. Yes. State, paired with Jalen Brunson, um, I I mean Mitch used to get the Knicks multiple buckets a game on pick and rolls when they had lousy guards because the the number of times that it really seemed like defenses would concede the layup attempt to the guard rather than the dunk. And it wasn't always a bad idea. Like, they weren't great point guards. 
Um, the thought of Mitch with Brunson, um, that's just very, very, very exciting. And I just thought of that because when you mentioned Obi's ability to draw defenders, like we didn't see that. M- Mitch's lob game was really not a thing last year at all. Um, maybe later in the season, but not for a while. And that's a major component, you know, disappearing that I think probably affected a lot more people than just Mitch, even on offense, because that is such a, that really for the Knicks is, is as efficient a threat as they pose to anybody is the threat of Mitch getting an easy two. The other person I wanted to, um, to follow up with you on, I thought of this while you were talking about Emmanuel quickly one of the, the, the reasons I'm most excited about Quickly is that for most of – after Quickly's first season, I think I thought of him as like, okay, he's a, he's a pretty cool – he's a cool player, and his best quality is his shooting. You know, if his shooting continues to improve, like, you know, wow, six man of the year, people talk – Lou Williams, he's not the same kind of player, but I thought of him as a shooter. Most of last season, his shot was not there, but I was always struck that Quickly was always still contributing, and he was developing in other ways. To now, it's the point where, like, I don't. I, I hope he shoots better, but like, I'm not. I'm not like okay. Quickly's out there. I need my shooter. I think he's a complete player. I think he still has room to grow, but I think Quickly from year, just like Obi, I think has changed the the narrative on. What can this person be from what we saw in year one? I thought in year one quickly could be like a decent starter or like a pretty good sixth man. And after a season where what I thought was his greatest strength did not manifest, I feel better about that than I did last summer. Yeah, I mean, I think um, with quickly, yeah, the shooting, that's the thing. I wouldn't put quickly as the best shooting prospect on the Knicks. I think yeah, no, that is definitely not unequivocally Quentin Grimes because that guy can fucking. And I'm very excited to watch him at 8 p.m. tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, light up the summer league, which you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I have a strong suspicion he will do. Um, with quickly, it's even the shooting. It's not that he's a great spot up shooter. Well, he was he was as a rookie. He was 46 percent on threes spot up that is uh that's joe harris numbers Mm. but um you know he his strengths are the versatility from where he can get his shots off and his length on defense right so he can be a shooter like that was and i I wrote a long piece for the strickland before we even drafted quickly on second round guard prospects and i really liked quickly but i always thought of him as a three and d guy yeah, where he has the length to guard two positions because he has a long ass wingspan, mm-hmm. very smart. He was an amazing defender at Kentucky, and, and that showed up more in year two. Um, he um, he can do other things if you close out on him. He's not Steve Novak. He can uh, dribble around it and all that. Um, but what I didn't expect was how much off the dribble playmaking he had. Um, he didn't get to run much pick and roll in Kentucky because they had two very talented ball handlers next to him. They had Tyrese Maxey and um, Ashton Higgins, who obviously hasn't had much success in the league, but was an older player who was, you know, um, you know, very effective in the college level. So um, with quickly, I think 
you know, what the things that the most impress me, um, one of the things is that he never misses rotations on defense. He was arguably the Knicks' best perimeter defender last year. Um, I think Grimes will surpass him in time um, because Grimes is a rookie and all rookies are bad, including Quickly. Quickly was not good as a rookie on defense. Um, certainly the first half of the year. I think towards the end, he was he was pretty solid. But Quickly is a second-year player. He doesn't miss rotations on defense. Um, he gets his hands in, in passing lanes a lot. That's something that I didn't see at Kentucky as much because I mean, they play a conservative scheme under John Calipari, but he has that ability, so that was a plus. He makes a big impact on defense. And if you look at advanced stats, the thing is, like, you talk about guys like Maxi, Poole, Tyler Hero, you know, these other combo guards, and everyone, the, you know, the, the normal Twitter conversation or the normal NBA conversation would be like, those guys are way ahead of quickly, right? You look at defensive, you look at advanced stats, quickly is uh, way ahead of them. And a big part of that is defense, and you'd expect them to close that gap. Um, and I think the better question I've asked about quickly is like, if you, you look at him versus a guy like Tyrese Maxey and they're, you know, quickly is higher or, you know, close to him in terms of impact so far, I would understand the argument. And I actually buy the argument. This is why I'm slightly higher on Maxey, but I also love Tyrese Maxey. That like I think it's easier for Tyrese Maxey to up his three point volume than I think it is for quickly to get to that level at the rim. Mm. But the defense is a big differentiator because even Tyrese Maxey was an awesome defender in college, who probably will end up being an awesome defender just because of his motor, his strength, and all of those things. Quickly's way better than him right now, and they're a year. He's a year older. That's important. Um, and I think I think quickly. Excuse me. Ends up settling in. I don't know if he'll be exactly like Fred Van Fleet, but I think that's the type of impact he'll have. Mm. Where he's a great pull-up shooter, can run your offense for stretches. Ideally, you'd have someone else next to him to like do a little bit of those. Like I think quickly showed in the second half of last season that he can get to the rim when he wants. Mm. But um, you know, it's not the same thing as just a blow-by guy. Um, I think he'll he'll settle in in that type of range as like one of the twenty to thirtieth best players in the league. And uh, I mean, I I know that to some people that's too low, to some people that's too high. That's how it's, because his defense is already so good. Um, and his passing took a massive leap. I mean, passing is part of the whole point guard package, the whole guard package. And that's what really stuck out to me the second half of the season. Like I've been watching the, the you know the second half of the season, the Clippers game, the Miami Heat game, all those games at the end of the year, um, and the, the the difference in terms of how he was attacking the defense, how he like his communication on offense, uh, it's it's night and day. Um, he knew where he wanted to go. He knew what he was going to do if they didn't let him go where he wanted to go. Um, he knew what he was going to do if they didn't let him where he wanted to go, and they sent help to where he wanted didn't where they didn't want him to go. He had the the second third order thinking, and that's really tough to develop for a young player. And that's why I, I kind of understand a lot of the people who were like, "Let quickly just be a sixth man, let him just find his shot off ball." But he's a special player because he has that that sense. He's developed that, and um, 
Yeah, like I, I think Jalen Brunson should start. I wouldn't hate the Knicks starting quick, Grimes over quickly, but I do think quickly is going to finish a lot of games next to Grimes. Or, sorry, next to Brunson. And I think he's going to probably end up averaging 24 to 25 minutes because like his ability to create shots, to read the defense, to be another connector, also creator on the floor while providing plus defense is just going to be like, you can't, you can't play that player only 20 minutes a game. I just don't think it's going to happen. He's another person that I'm particularly excited to see play with Brunson specifically because I think. And yes, because they, they and Brunson, Brunson plays so well off ball, right? And they, they complement each other in the sense that Brunson is more effective. And the last thing I'll say is like, we know that Derek Rose held quickly by a lot of what a lot of people have said. Brunson's interior package, right? The footwork, like Brunson is an elite paint scorer and it's very little to do with him around the rim. Although he's like pretty respectable around the rim. But where he's special is that three to 10 foot range because he has the floater, but he sets up that floater with so much footwork and so many moves. And I think quickly has it in him to, if not get to that level, then at least have a couple of those counters to that floater. Like just learning from Brunson, I think will help him a lot. Before we continue, I forgot to ask Stacy today's trivia question. Stacy, this is episode 37 of the Believe Knicks pod. What Nick has worn the number 37? And I'll tell you right off the bat, I thought it was Bronner. I thought it was Meta World Peace. I'm convinced he wore <laughs> some jersey as 37, but I have not been able to track it, and it was not with the Knicks. Um, I thought maybe in Indiana. Nope, he was 23 in Indiana. He was. 15 in Chicago. I know that dude wore 37 somewhere, um, but it was not on the Knicks. Any I, 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 that was my guess. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, good. Good guess. Um, I'll tell um, you what thing Go ahead. Is it someone I would have heard of? Um, I'll tell you the truth. It's nobody. No Nick has ever worn the number 37. Oh, you, you're fucking with me, Matt. Come on, man. But here's the thing. I'm fucking with you in the spirit of our time. Tomorrow at City Field, the Mets, who are long overdue to be retiring players' numbers from the 1986 team, the Mets will be retiring the number of first base great Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez was traded to the Knicks from St. Louis, where he wore the number 37. And when he came to the Mets and I asked him what jersey he wanted, and he said 37, they told him he couldn't have 37, and he looked kind of dumbstruck. And then somebody pointed to the outfield wall where Casey Stengel's number 37 was retired, and that's why Keith wore 17 as a Met. So there's your number 37 numerology fun of the day. Very poetic. And just to refresh the fans' memory, who did Casey Stengel manage? The Yankees and the Mets. Yeah. So that's that's our subway truce right there. I think he has his number retired by both franchises, too. Um and if you want a little Casey Stengel uh, tidbit, Casey Stengel, when he was a player, I think for the Giants, hit a home run to win a game in the World Series. And when he hit the home run, he did something like particularly demonstrative um, toward the other dugout because it was a team he had used to play for. And the manager of that team sent a letter to the uh, the president of the league wanting Stengel to be punished in some way. And the, the response famously was something along the lines of like, when a man hits a home run to beat his old team in the World Series, that man 
deserves a certain amount of like liberty, particularly if that man is Casey Stengel. So he was always a character as a player, as a manager. Um, there's your baseball for the day, which is frankly more baseball than baseball deserves from us. Now, Stacey, I count at least 13 players on the roster who very credibly can expect playing time next season. And Tom Thibodeau is not going to play a 13-man rotation. Obviously, there will be injuries, and some players will go up and down a bit. But, um, you know, Mitchell Robinson is going to play. Isaiah Hartenstein is going to play. Julius Randle, Obi Toppin. Cam Reddish, maybe he doesn't play, but, like, it wouldn't. If he had a great camp, he's going to play. R.J. Barrett, Evan Fournier, uh, Quentin Grimes, Deuce McBride, Emmanuel Quickly, Derek Rose, Jalen Brunson, and Jericho Sims. I haven't given every name, but to me those seem like – I'm not talking about Keels or, or or Montero. I'm just talking about people that I, I, I definitely expect will make the team unless they're traded. When I spoke to Jonathan Macri earlier today on the Jacobin Sports Show, I asked him if he thought the Knicks were done making moves for the offseason, and he said no. He said very specifically that with the Brunson um, the Brunson arrangement not finalized yet, that he thinks the Knicks could be in line to make another move. To me, this still looks like last year, where there's too many people with an expectation of playing time for too few spots. Do you think... The Knicks could go into next season with all thirteen of those guys on the on the bench. Well, it's interesting that Macri. And by the way, I'm going to take this opportunity to say um, Matt had Jonathan Macri on the um, Jacobin podcast, and you should all check it out. Um, it was personally it was really interesting. At least for me personally, uh, Matt's writing and John's um, media work and. I, mean, I used to watch John pretty much on every post game, especially when the Knicks were shitty, to just get be like, but hey, Frank Nilakina had six points and a plus 13 <laughs> in five minutes um, for a while. And that's what got, that was a big factor, what got me into kind of blogging and talking about the Knicks. So definitely encourage you all to check that out. Um, I know that's at the top of my list. Um, in terms of, your question uh, on the, I think it's encouraging that the Knicks are looking for trades. My guess is that, like, in terms of certainly Fournier, his value is only going to rise, I think, as the season moves on. Um, I would also mention, so I did you ask him about Derek Rose at all? Or? No, Rose did not come up. Yeah, I, I think Rose will be in those conversations just because contenders are going to value him a lot. And contenders don't need Derrick Rose to play every day. True. Um, if there was a sign and trade with Dallas, I would I would imagine they should be more interested in Rose than Fournier. Yeah. Because of what they're losing with the Brunson loss, mm-hmm. Rose can fit pretty nicely into that role. Not the same player, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> rim pressure, another ball handler, take pressure off Luca. Uh, better than Spencer Dinwiddie. I'll say that again. Better than Spencer Dinwiddie. <laughs> um, but um, in terms of, so you mentioned so thirteen. Let's see. So we got a starting five of. I think the starting five as is. I don't think Fournier is starting. I think even Tibbs will be on board with that. So I think your starting five as is. You're looking at 
Brunson, Grimes, Barrett, Randall, Mitch, mm-hmm. and the back of five of Rose quickly. Um, I guess it, and Fournier, um, Toppin, and Sims, right? And the other three would be Cam, so not, not Sims, Hardenstein. Einstein, yeah. Yeah, so your other three would be Cam, Sims, and who is the. Like the McBride. Yeah. yeah, and I do think McBride is rotating. So I think McBride is kind of, uh, I don't want to say screwed at this point, but I think the Knicks have um, Rose quickly, Yokubitis. Um, obviously, Brunson is someone they're committed to for the foreseeable future. Uh, they just signed Gene Montero, who I think is going to surprise some people, but even if we leave that out, it's crowded, and some of those guys are getting traded, even if Rose does. Like, I don't think quickly Yokobitis and McBride are all going to be here past their rookie deal, mm-hmm. which is sad to say because I love them all a lot. Um, and I, I just from sentimental, from who I think is a better player, I think I'd probably take Yokobitis, but sentimentality wise, I'd probably take McBride, and I love his upside. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you have 13 players, right? So I would imagine the Knicks, Forty and Rose are the guys they're trying to move, unless the Mavs have, like, an interest in Randall. Um, and I, I mean, it's tough to find out from these rumors. Like, you know, there's Mavs guys saying that they're the Knicks want to dump Cam Reddish and, a, and, and, the, and or the Mavs first, and the Mavs don't have any leverage. So... Um, Maybe the Knicks end up doing those things, but for compensation, maybe Fournier goes. Um, I do think they would be worse off strictly net neutral from not having Fournier because he is such a good shooter. But with Tibbs, you know, that can change. Um, but I mean, as as it stands, if they went into the season with this roster, my guess would be they have the starting five I mentioned. Um and quickly would end up getting 20 to 24 minutes a night behind Grimes, just because I think, like I said before, even if Grimes starts, there's going to be a lot of games where I think Quickly's shot creation is going to be much more important late in games. Um, and I think there will also be the inevitable games that Rose, Rose misses. And, you know, the more quickly improves, the more they might be willing to um, you know, give Rose a night off here and then. So I think I, I'm not worried about quickly getting his minutes. Grimes, I think, will start, so he'll get his minutes. Um, it's really, I think there's Cam and Obi are the two players to keep an eye on. And that's where Julius Randle's trade really opens things up because even if Julius Randle stays and Thibodeau gets him to buy into 30 minutes a game, which I think if he did that last year, it would have been great for the Knicks. Yeah. Because I think Randall's biggest issues were not shot making, but it was fatigue, conditioning, getting back on defense, <coughs> playing with pace, right? When he was so much better when he ran up the floor and tried to make something happen, even if his decision making always wasn't great. Um, he's just better when he plays with that kind of mentality. So I think getting Randall to 30 minutes and Obi to 18 would be good in that regard, but that's probably not enough for Obi. Yeah. Obi's going to be 25 the year after that um like if if quickly only gets 20 to 24 minutes this year i'm kind of okay with that 
Um, Anthony Simons was probably going to get a max. Um, you know, he didn't yeah, play more Simons than twenty got four minutes. Four years and a hundred. Simons got four years and a hundred. Yeah, so he did, and he didn't get more than twenty minutes a game until this year. Right, and I think quickly has that level of talent where he could do the same thing. Um, and to the extent that he has shortcomings that Simmons Simons doesn't, Simons hasn't exploited those the same way, and quickly is worlds better on defense. Um, so I'm not worried about quickly. I'm not worried about Grimes. I'm a little bit worried about Obi, but fine. It's really Cam that's the odd person out. Yeah. Cam and Deuce, right? Yeah. Um, and, and Sims Sims is on a two-way. He's 23. I think that's to be expected. I don't think that we're going to have any serious issues with him wanting out for like at least a year. Yeah, especially after he just signed a three-year deal. But um, And so with those two players... Cam is pretty easily resolvable by just trading Fournier. One of Fournier Randall gets him yeah. those backup minutes. Trading both gets him backup minutes at both positions, and I do think Cam can play the four. Deuce, I think, is just in a tough spot, and it's sad because I love him. Yep. I love what Deuce brings. I would love a Deuce quickly backcourt. Mm-hmm. But I also I love Brunson a lot, too. Um, and I love Grimes. And one of Deuce or... Yoko Baitis will probably end up getting traded in whatever star trade we make. So that's how I see it playing out. But, you know, if I had to break down the rotation, I would say, yeah, I know Brunson is probably playing 33 to 36 minutes yeah. at the one. Rose is probably playing 12 to 15 minutes at that position. Um, the wild card is how much Tibbs would want to play Rose and um, Brunson together. Um, but if he doesn't do that a lot, I think that the, what you'd end up seeing is, um, you know, Grimes in quickly splitting the minutes at two, um, close to 50, 50, RJ getting 33 to 36 minutes, um, with 48 backing him up with 12 to 15. But yeah, like that's the thing. Like, is that going to work out? Because quick, if, if Fournier is coming off the bench, I think he'd be fine. But if he's getting 12, 15 minutes, that probably cuts into quickly. And then I don't think it's going to work that well if quickly is getting less than 20 minutes. So that's what we really have to figure out. And that's probably why, or at least a part of why this sign and trade is taking so long with Dallas. So, and I think, like, no matter what, like, at some point, they need to make a decision on Obi and Randall. So. I keep meaning to ask you this. And once I saw the Simons deal, would you rather have Brunson for four years and 104 or Simons for four years and 100? I would probably take um, Brunson. I think before the signing, I would have definitely said Simons because he's younger and I've seen less of I haven't been hearing about him forever, I think. So there's that appeal of the mysterious, but I feel like, um, particularly defensively, I would much rather have overall. I think Brunson is a better player. Maybe Simons is more, more like ultimately explosive, although Brunson certainly exploded in the playoffs. I think I've been, I've been hearing so much about Simons for years, and then he finally blows up and has this big year that now I'm convinced he's like, you know, it's like when Steve Young was, was Joe Montana's backup, and you always heard about Steve Young. And then he finally showed up, and you're like, holy shit, Like this guy could have been a star all along. 
I feel like that way with Simons. I don't think I ever felt that way with Brunson. But the more I've learned about Brunson, like I was completely during the year, like I don't give a shit about Jalen Brunson. I don't, I'm not going to care if they sign him. But the more I've learned about him, like he fits a lot of things that this team does not have. Uh, like in terms of tangible and intangible things, I think. Like I think this is a very good signing for them. Not to go over the Brunson signing like all over again, but just. You know. Yeah, I mean, he's a good player. Like he's a really good player who wasn't benefiting from playing on a bad team, who wasn't strictly benefiting from playing next to a good player. He's just a really like you can watch like what he can do to create opportunities off the bounce from scratch with a screen, without a screen, um, the efficiency of the finish. He's just a really good player. And you can't pass up on those kind of guys when you're the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you do have other guards. So um, that's the thing. We had a we had an elite three-point shooter in Alec Burks last year. He shot 39% at the rim. Um, yeah. It's it's just tough to find those guys who can do all three of those things. Yeah. And I think Brunson also has upside because he's doing all of this. He's a very efficient scorer without taking a ton of threes. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't take pull-up threes really that much. Um, when he has, like, the form looks good. His percentage is, like, 31%. There's some to be upside there. Um, he has a 3-to-1 assist, assist turnover ratio, but he's pretty conservative in terms of passes. If you were to just tell him to, like, get funky a little bit, maybe there's upside there in terms of getting up to 6-7 assists, but still over 2-to-1 in assist ratio, turnover ratio. Um like it's just you're not you're not not signing a 25 year old player like that when you're not a playoff team. It's just a fact, you know. Um, especially like unless it's a center. But if it was a center with that kind of upside, you would still do it. So yeah, I mean it's it's pretty much a no brainer. I don't think there's, I think any hand wringing over the money offered to the Brunson contract is, is kind of ridiculous. Like he's being paid like a mid tier point guard, but he's 25 and has the upside to be more than that. So. Yeah, and they've got his years 25, 26, well, 26, 27, 28, 29. I'm so excited. If you had told me a year ago the Knicks would get Anthony Simons, I would have been thrilled. Like, I would have thought there's no way they can get him because he's restricted. Um, and the fact that they got someone that I'm more excited about now than Simons, um, at a re- again, the Knicks get so – I don't always like the, like, oh, the national media picks on the Knicks, but there is a laziness and a tendency to do it when things like this happens. And um, the Knicks got a good player at a good contract for the best years of his career. And he fits a position of need. There's nothing to feel but good about this. Like nothing. Um, I want to close by asking you a question. I've been meaning to ask you for a couple of weeks, ever since I saw Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness, which if you haven't seen it, it's pretty cool. I thought, um, a couple scenes I had to cover my nine-year-old's eyes, but in general, I enjoyed the movie. Stace Patton, if you were to fall through a wormhole into a, another universe where everything is exactly the same, except the New York Knicks have never existed, and the NBA has 29 teams, what team do you think everything else is the same? The players are the same, basically. You know, as much as they can be. Um, what team would you do you think you would end up rooting for if the Knicks did not exist? 
The Seattle Super Sucks. I love that. Mm-hmm. If they still existed, I would probably pick them also. Of the existing teams, it'd be Golden State. But um, yeah. Um, well, let, let me yeah. throw this twist to you. You started watching the Knicks mostly like like high school, right? High school into college is when you started. No, I started watching the Knicks when I was five or six years old. So oh, okay. Nineteen ninety five, nineteen ninety six. So let's go back. So let's say then mid nineties. There's no Knicks. You're you're back in your five year old body. Yet you retain all the wisdom of your adult self. Oh no, say fuck it. You don't know what you don't know what the future's going to be. You're five years old. It's the mid '90s. The Knicks do not exist. Would you have been a Bulls fan because Michael Jordan was nah. so awesome? Nah, my um, my parents moved here in the eight in like the early '80s. My dad moved to Boston in 1982 mm. as a grad student, um, and he'd never watched basketball. Bought his first TV. I guess it was June, and he turned it on, and it's um, the Lakers and the Celtics in the finals adopted the Celtics. So he never liked Michael Jordan. I was never going to be a Celtics fan growing <laughs> up here. But um, I, we, we were always, my dad was always like, Jordan gets too many superstar calls. Yeah, I yeah. love Space Jam, but I was never the guy that was like, just rooting for Jordan no matter what. Although I, like, I appreciate him as like the icon of that era. Yeah. Well, there were three teams that I really loved when I first got into basketball besides the Knicks. Uh, number one would be those Sonics. Um, just they were just so fun. Beautiful um, jerseys, great arena and atmosphere. And they, they were such a modern team, right? Yep. They had the shooters. They had Deadlift Shrimp. I think would kill in the modern yeah. NBA. By the way, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to say he's going to be Luca, but he had that type of game, like point forward, amazing passer. Also, Derek McKee would be a lot better today than he was back then. Yeah, but I mean, Shrimp. Trevor averaged like 19-9 in the six, and he was kind of viewed as like just an ancillary player at that time. Kemp with his athleticism, uh, I still think that's just an incredible what if in terms of. Um, yeah, I think he could have been an amazing player. Uh, and then I, I, I mean, I was I've always been a point guard my whole life. I've always been defense first, so I love Gary Payton. So the Sonics would go there first. The second would be I don't know. If I knew any kids my age who didn't love the Orlando Magic, yeah, you had Shaq and Penny. Uh, the first jersey I ever owned was actually a Penny Hardaway jersey. <laughs> I still have it. It kind of functions as a midriff if I put it on right now. <laughs> um, and then the third team, this was actually kind of a little random, but also like when I watched them, I was like, okay, I can see it. But my uh, when I, I I used to go to an after school program and one of my camp counselors who I got really close with was like six four six five, and I used to play basketball with him and he was a huge Houston Rockets fan because of the Kim Olajuwon, mm-hmm. and so those would have been the three teams for me, nice. and the Sonics would still have probably been first, but the Magic like yeah when the Bulls swept the Magic I was like how do they sweep Shaq you know <laughs> but. <laughs> Which is pretty insane, by the way. Like that that Bulls team swept Shaq and Penny. Like that is insane. Like Shaq was he was not Lakers Shaq yet, but he was also more athletic and like he was still probably one of the top two or three players in the NBA at that time. I would have called him the second best player at the in the NBA at that time. Yeah, and in that series, like they took the life out of like they didn't just beat the Magic like a couple of close 
games and it could have like they just as the series went on just suffocated more and more it was it was you could see like Jordan had an agenda they all did from the year before when the magic eliminated them it was like nice to watch because I didn't like the magic because I thought they were dicks to the Knicks so I enjoyed like watching Chicago fuck somebody else up for once um I have almost the same I have two of the same three as you um I would have picked Seattle the city was like just seemed like a really cool, magical place, and the arena was great, and I loved the, the colors and the uniform. Um, so I would definitely have Seattle probably at number three. I think number two, I would say Orlando. Jerseys were hot. Um, Shaq was unbelievable. They played. They were really ahead of their time in terms of how they played. Um, people talk about the Dwight Howard magic, like Damon Gunny discovered something that hadn't been done before, but... They played Shaq with Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson and Penny. Um, there was a lot of inside out, great spacing. They were a fun. Shaq was. I mean, De- Dennis Scott had the three point record until Steph Curry broke it. Dennis Scott, just pretty impressive. A very brief Nick. Um, and if you if you read Chris Herring's book, Blood in the Garden, I think was where the story was told. Um, Dennis Scott was only a Nick very very shortly because. He really struggled in his time as a Nick, and apparently after a loss, they were taking a plane ride back from somewhere, I think Phoenix maybe on the West Coast, and Dennis Scott was probably trying to lighten the mood and was being very silly and jokey, and Jeff Van Gundy like just gave him like this death stare and told whoever like the next day, like get him off the team, and Dennis Scott was done. So... Much better days for him in Orlando than New York. I honestly think, knowing myself at that time, that if the Knicks did not exist, I would have been a Nets fan because I always picked teams like in New York or close to New York. Um, I really liked the Nets' old jersey. For some reason, I mean, the logo, when it had the state of New Jersey in it, and it said, like, Nets in some kind of font. I don't know why I thought that was so hot, but I did. And also, Kenny Anderson was like... I was so in love with Kenny Anderson from high school all the way to the pros. Um, I always wanted him to be on the Knicks. I wouldn't even have cared if it had worked. I just wanted him on the Knicks because he was him and like Felipe Lopez were my two like, like amateur heroes coming up. Like I was so excited by both of those guys and um, Drazen Petrovic also was a favorite to watch. So I probably would have been a Nets fan. Um, So thank God. The Knicks do. I can say that. Thank God the Knicks do exist. And I did not become a Nets fan because that's just weird to think about even. You have been rooting for KD. <laughs> I don't know. if I, I've always had – there's some great – I don't know if you have this. There's some great players that, like, as much as I admire their game, um, I just – like Chris Paul, I've known my whole life how great he is, but I really – just don't like him for some reason and kind of think he's a dick and like it works, but I'm never like, Oh shit, Chris Paul's team is on. I got to watch him play. And the other one like that is Durant. He's beautiful. Like just his game in a, in a vacuum is as pretty a game as I've seen, but, and I do like a lot of things about him, but there's always been something about Durant that I'm not, I don't know what it is. He doesn't do it for me the way that he does for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's a historically talented player, right? But, um, you know, it's all the other shit around it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he's crazy in the abstraction. Like, he's a seven-foot... He's as good a bucket as any, as anyone I've seen. Like, including Jordan. Including Kobe. I gotta put him on that level. He's a better shooter than both of them. He's bigger than both of them. He gets to his spots whenever he wants to. Like, I'm not saying he's better, but I'm saying he can sit at that table with those guys, and I think they wouldn't be offended. But... Nah, I don't want to watch him play. On that note, I, feel that. I don't think people need to hear who I don't want to hear play. So let's leave it here. Um, Stacey, as always, love having you on, love speaking to you. We will pick up um, probably next week will be our next episode. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, oh, I should ask you today, Stacey. I asked Macri this. Today is apparently National Chocolate and Almonds Day. Do you prefer your chocolate with or without almonds? I would say with almonds. Okay. Macri said without. And if it's Hershey, I prefer it just straight. But almonds are pretty good. I like uh, nuts in my chocolate. Pause. I know. That's going to cost a... In your chocolate. going to cost one or two commenters. So I'll say uh, no. Like um, just a random story. I went to a Yankee game once. With my dad and then my dad's coworker, who I think just had a very spoiled kid the same age. And we went to the game. We were sitting behind home plate, amazing seats. Wow. And like my friend's dad or my dad's friend, he went to go get his son some MMs. Like, and he must have been gone for a while, like probably an inning or two. Yeah. He got back and his son was like, It's peanut. I wanted regular MMs. And wow. I know if it was me, my dad would smack the shit out of me. But <laughs> I got the peanut M&M's and I was like, I like these better. You know, there's the more substance to them. You know, I still get the chocolate, but I get a little bit of a mm-hmm. little, little pack of muscles. So now to me, chocolate and peanut butter is like the greatest combination ever. Mm-hmm. Um, Reese's cups are by far my favorite candies. So mm-hmm. um, give me a little nut in between the chocolate. Again, feel free to go at it in the comments, folks. But yeah. That's that's my answer. Um, Reese's now has like a an ultimate peanut butter lovers that the whole thing is peanut butter, the outside, the inside. It is incredible. Now there's Reese's with potato chips in them. Um, and my personal like this is gonna take probably ten years off my life and it might be worth it. Hagen Dazs uh, chocolate and peanut butter ice cream. Every carton has this one like massive like glacier of just like yeah butter. Yo, I know exactly what you're talking about i am i think i just talked to myself into getting a pint of that and calling it a good night so i got i got one more thing to add on that when i was like 16 and i first started smoking weed um i remember one time i came home and my parents had like chocolate peanut butter ice cream and i like topped it with peanut butter cups, but I made sandwiches out of them with Cheez-Its. Because <laughs> I also love Cheez-Its. And that was the shit. So if you're ever just feeling out there and you're like really high and want like a good snack, try it out. There's um, there's like a Pepper Jack Cheez-It that's like pretty incredible right now. Um, yep, I've heard that. Yeah, Cheez-Its are like unstoppable. And they're so much better than cheese nips. Yes, like, I remember. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. Cheese nips are just bland. Like, dude, you gotta be sharp. You gotta, you gotta get in there. You know. Because what the fuck is a nip? Why do I want a cheese nip? 
I don't want a cheese yeah. dip. It sounds no. You know what? I'm not going from chocolate nuts to nips. That's it for this episode. Chocolate nuts and cheese Everybody nips. Everybody enjoy your day. Enjoy your dessert. We will be back. <laughs> we will be back with you sometime soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.